Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging objective truth. Here's the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton. Thank you, Suzanne. I'm pleased to welcome to Core Principles our first repeat guest, a gentleman we spoke with last year, the historian for the Billy Graham Library, Wayne Atchison. How are you doing today, Wayne? Doing great, Clay. Good to be with you. Well, thank you so much. Wayne, you have a new book out called The Asbury Revival, and today we're going to discuss this really wonderful and inspirational book. Would you first tell us about your visits to Asbury and particularly your connections to that college? Yes, it's a real joy. I I remember in August of 2018, Barbara and I, my wife Barbara and I, went to the Creation Museum and the Ark, the Noah's Ark, and we had never been before. And I've taught revival history uh, and been a serious student of revival history since 2009. So on the way back from those two visits, we went to near Paris, Kentucky, to see where the Great Cane Ridge uh, Revival took place. The greatest camp meeting revival in the history of the country took place in 18. 1802. We found Cane Ridge, and I was thrilled to see this uh, amazing historical place of revival. And then, of course, my next stop was Asbury College. In my, and of course today it's Asbury University. But in my in my study of revival history, I came across the great revivals that they've had at Asbury. School started in 1890, and they've had about 15 student-led revivals. But 1970. Uh, to me, was the greatest student-led campus revival in the history of America, and I couldn't wait to get to the campus. Asbury wasn't foreign to us because my wife's grandfather, Everett Freeman, was a 1915 graduate of Asbury. He became a wonderful Methodist minister out in Kansas. So we already knew about Asbury, but it was our first visit. been twice since then. Yeah, we'll talk about one of those times, particularly in 2020. But you know, revival doesn't just happen. Obviously, the Spirit leads it, but people do the work, and part of the work is praying into it. And I wonder if you would tell us about Janine Brabon, how she followed the Spirit's prompting to prepare the way for this 1970 revival at Asbury. Yes, uh, Clay, in 1968, a young lady named Janine Brabon was a freshman at Asbury, and her parents were missionaries in South America. So she went, she grew up in a missionary home. And, you know, she went to high school where a lot of missionary parents and other Christian leaders, uh, kids go to high school down in Florida. She also she actually went to high school with one of Billy Graham's uh, daughters, Ruth, the third daughter, and they were friends and still are today. Janine got to Ashbury where all the family had attended. And so she just always had a heart for Jesus and a heart for revival. And so when she got to the campus, she went and got a, a list of all the students and all the faculty members and put them on cards. And she began to pray for revival on the campus because they really did need revival. It was a time when riots were taking place on campuses. Presidents were being locked up in their office of colleges. And, and there was a lot of rebellion. And, and it had touched this school a little bit, you know, in other kind of ways. And there was just a need for a spiritual renewal there. She would wait in line at lunch. She'd get these cards out. She'd be praying over students. Every time she had a few moments, she was praying for those students. And then eventually, after two years, she got other students praying. And, and you know, Clay, they, they, they just expected the Lord to come. They expected Jesus to come. You know, they didn't pray for revival. They prayed that Jesus would come. Uh, when they would finish praying, they would say, do you think he's going to come today? Do you think he, he's going to come tomorrow? 
And so one day in chapel on February 3rd, 1970, Jesus came. Now this chapel service was scheduled for one hour, but yeah. something happened, Wayne. Step us through sort of what happened. You know, they would have chapel three days a week, and this was a Tuesday, February 3rd, 1970. It was snowing outside. The president, Dr. Dennis Kinlaw, had, had gone to Alaska early that morning on business trip for the college, and the academic dean was in charge of the chapel. And so Janine's uh, chapel mate, you know, they're all assigned seats by class, uh, said, well, there's nothing going to happen here today. See, they pray before chapel that God would bless and use that service and maybe come. And, and so, oh, he's not going to come today. The academic dean's in charge. <laughs> well, he got up and he gave his testimony for 10 minutes and he opened it up to students like they had done at other times. And when he did, the student who was known as perhaps one of the most rebellious on campus, and he was very popular, and certainly, uh, you know, he was, he was just far away from God. He was the first one that stood up and he says, I'm a hypocrite. But last night in the dorm, God came into my life and I'm a different person and I love Jesus with all my heart. Well, I'm telling you, one by one, students began to stand up and began to give testimonies themselves. And so many of them that so they could all hear, there were 1,100 students, they would have them to line up and come to the podium. And, and that was the beginning of 185 hours consecutively, seven days and seven nights. It never stopped. And uh, it was uh, no preaching. It was giving testimony. There was singing. There was praying. Let me tell you what it was. It was confession of sin. It was repentance of sin. It was young people getting saved who thought they were saved. It was people getting saved for the first time. There was a tremendous wave of love that just came over that place, over that campus. To, there was great restitution, reconciliation. Many students made deeper commitments to Christ. And, uh, and so many of them even gave a deep commitment, surrender to the mission field, foreign missionaries. And so that's what happened. And I love what Dr. Robert Coleman, who's one of the great men of revival in the last 60 years, he said, it was as if the campus had been suddenly invaded by another power. Classes were forgotten. Academic work came to a standstill in a way awesome to behold. God had taken over the campus. And that was the way it was. See, classes were, were dismissed. When that one hour ended, the bell rang and nobody moved. And even at lunchtime, nobody cared because during this whole seven days, Janine told me that she might have eaten seven meals and maybe slept 20 hours. She didn't want to miss a thing. She was right there in chapel. Time, sleep, and food didn't matter. It was just like God, Jesus had come. And when you're in the presence of Jesus, uh, you don't want to be anywhere else. And so that's kind of, that's the way it started. And uh, it just never ended for seven days until they started class again. Well, that, that's very thrilling. I'm sure that the people there were affected for their whole lives. It's fortuitous yeah. that the academic dean was the one leading the service because he was able to say classes are suspended until further notice. But that's right. you, you mentioned that uh, the college president, Dr. Kinlaw, was about as far away as you could be and still be in the United States. Uh, how did that work out? We didn't have... Uh, you know, the kind of instant telecommunications in 1970. Uh, how did he get drawn into what was going on? He left that morning early from the Louisville airport and he went up to Alaska and he got a call at five o'clock that day. He went to his hotel desk and they said, you have a message. And the academic dean was calling. So he went to a telephone booth and he dialed the number 
and the dean says, uh, Dr. Kenlaw, we have a problem. Well, he said, my blood pressure went so sky high, I was thinking what in the world could happen on our campus with all that's going on on campuses across America. And he says, what is the problem? He says, it's chapel. It's still going on. What do you mean going on? It's five o'clock in the afternoon. Chapel's still going on. So he told him about it. <laughs> and of course, here he is. He's a great man of God. He's in Alaska. And, and of course, he knew about the revivals that had been there before. He'd only been president two years. And he came back about three days later. Uh, he got back and, and was, of course, had a, a great privilege to enjoy the revival and to see what was what Jesus was doing there. Now, Wayne, uh, we know that more people were affected than those who were in Hughes Auditorium. Asbury College was not a seminary, but there was the Asbury Seminary just across the street from them. How did that affect them at the Asbury Seminary? Well, that's a good question. You know, they're across the street, Asbury Seminary, and they needed revival too. And Janine said, when the revival started, she ran across the street to a couple who were young married and says, it's here, it's here. And they said, what do you mean it's here? It's revival has come. And so it wasn't 24 hours that things began to happen over there in their chapel service. And, and people began to be the same way convicted and revival began to come there just as strong as it was across the street. It began to spread out all over the United States pretty quick. Well, I did want to ask you about that. Uh, here, this was in central Kentucky, but how did this real powerful movement of the Holy Spirit affect other people outside of Kentucky? Right away, one of the leading TV stations in Lexington, just 20 miles away, a TV news port reporter heard about it. And of course they, they discussed it and they said, well, let's let them come. He told those people that night, whatever you're doing, where you're cooking supper, are you are watching TV, you need to take the time right now to watch what I'm gonna tell you. And he began to be the first one locally to tell people about what was happening in the revival. And then students were going to their telephones, you know, to the telephone booths, and they were calling their parents all over the United States. Word just spread like wildfire. And then play even three or four days in, there were calls coming in from colleges, from campus pastors, and they wanted a student from Asbury to come and tell them what was happening there at Asbury. And they said, we'll pay their way, we'll fly them out here if you'll send them. We'd love to have them to tell us what's going on on your campus. And I'm telling you, Clay, by that Sunday, it started on Tuesday. On, on Sunday, there was no more than 500 students on that campus. The rest of them were already going to places all over the United States to tell people uh, what was happening at Asbury. And the wonderful thing about it was everywhere they went, even though it didn't matter who it was, revivals broke out right there. And of course, it broke out in the next many, many months to 130 colleges and churches around the United States, and of course, even some places abroad. And that, that was why it was such a great impact. This revival had such a great impact. It was just not on campus, but it spread. It was just amazing um, how God prepared people for revival where they went. And it was seminaries, it was colleges, it was Christian schools, secular schools. And it didn't, it's like Dr. Kinlaw said, the least the impactful the student was, the more effective the witness was. And sometimes they would go and they wouldn't even be introduced by their name. They just start talking and revival would break out. There's so many stories. And of course, that's what's in the book. I, I really appreciate that aspect of the book that uh, we get to learn how this impacted some people personally. And we get to hear from their own words 
uh, sort of things that you've drawn out uh, in this historical account. I, I particularly loved Tim Philpott's st- story, not just because he was a great Kentucky Wildcat basketball fan like I am, but uh, could you tell us just a little bit about Tim's special experience? Yeah, I love Tim's story. You know, Clay, it's interesting thing about all this is that those students in 1970 at that chapel, they're now 68 to 71 years old. And how thrilling to get to know these people. And I got to know Tim about my visit, one of my visits to uh, Asbury. But Tim was a student. He was a freshman. His daddy was on the board and his daddy was a preacher. And uh, oh, my, you know, he thought he was Christian. His daddy knew Adolph Ruff, the basketball coach at Kentucky. And they were playing of all places down at Auburn University the night before that chapel took place. And he he and Coach Ruff got through his daddy, got him tickets to go to the game at Auburn, Alabama. But they drove all night, came back, and he thought, well, I've got to work on this paper. So he skipped chapel. And so he's, he's sitting there, and chapel's over, supposedly, and he's wondering, where is everybody? And there just wasn't anybody around because, well, he just thought maybe the rapture had taken place and he had missed the going to heaven. He thought he was a Christian, and he, he got a little frightened and finally found out that over there at uh, chapel, everybody's still there. And so he ran over there and discovered what was going on. And uh, all week, you know, he was watching all of this and thinking how good this is and so forth. And finally on about Friday, he walks in and God had dealt with his heart. And he told a young lady, he said, you know, I don't think I'm a Christian. And, and she said, well, well, Tim, there's six boys downstairs praying for you right now. And he ran to the altar and he gave his life to Christ. And there were about 12 boys that surrounded him and praying over him. And, and I tell you, it changed his life. Tim. Tim Philpott has been a, you know, a great lawyer there in Lexington, and he, he was in the Christian Businessmen internationally. He was the president. But I'm telling you, he turned out to be a dynamite Christian. I'm telling you, Clay, that's the way it's been for most of these students. They, they, as I would talk to students and ask them about, what do you remember about this revival? And, and they began to tell me, talk to me, and, and every one of them, they began to tear up. And, and the, the revival, the glory of the revival is still in their soul. They never forgot it, and it's still meaningful to them today. And it's had impact on others, as we've discussed, and you write about. How about uh, Dr. David Perry and his revival crusade? That's another outreach that spawned from, with its roots there. Uh, David was a boy from Georgia. He was in the first year of seminary across the street in Asbury Seminary, and God touched his heart. And I tell you, he had a car. <laughs> he had a nice car, and he was proud of it. But see, God got a hold of him. He loved, he loved his car. He loved his clothes. And he, he loved fine things. And he had to confess and repent in the revival that God, whatever, I'm going to have to give this to, over to you. And as the students went out to witness, one day the, one of the professors says, uh, says, David says, you've got a car, don't you? He said, yeah, I've got one. You know, he kept it real nice. And he said, we need, we, we got a carload of students that they, they need a car to go and speak about this revival. He said, I just turned that car over. I just forgot about that car. And God just took it and uh, away from me and used it for students to go and tell about the revival. But what happened with David was he got a Winnebago and he married a student, a godly girl named Autumn. And for about nine months, all they did was go and tell people about the Asbury revival. And it, and Asbury revival broke out everywhere they went. And I wrote about three chapters on David. And, you know, he's a wonderful pastor today in Georgia. And I'm telling you, Clay, it's one of the best stories because he's passed this book out, this book out to about 50 pastors in his area. And I'm telling you, they've had revival spirit. Uh, uh, one pastor said he and, it, he and his wife read the book together. They cried 
and, it, and that pastor said, this book has changed my life. And they get a renewed hope for their ministry and that God can come in revival, even in their small church, like it did at Asbury. And that's what David is doing today. He's passing that book out in Georgia. And uh, we have been in close touch. And, and it's been one of the great stories of the book. And there's been so many unbelievable responses to the book as people are, are just, just, they read, they, they cry, they'll read half of the book and then they'll order 10. Now they, I've had a man to order 150 copies after he read the book. And you know, others have ordered 100 copies of the book. And you know, it's just, a, the story is not my story. It's the Asbury story, but I let the students tell the story. And what was so great is that two students and a faculty member had the presence of mind to journal what was going on hour after hour during these 185 hours. And I used a great deal of that to let them tell what happened there. And yes. that's what's so thrilling. I, I wrote and wept and I still read pages and weep. And, and uh, I have had people to tell me they cried all the way through it. Well, here's another one because <laughs> it really, uh, it really touched me and, and I cried Amen. and I had to stop reading and start again. And, uh, it yeah. took me a while. It's a, it's a quick read, but I didn't read it quickly because I was so emotionally invested. And yeah. the, the journalism that you talk about there, uh, that really was, you are there with them yeah. in 1970. And I appreciate that you were able to use that. Uh, I want yeah. to encourage everybody to get a copy of the Asbury revival, uh, when God used students to wake a nation. And I would also add that a great companion book to this about revival generally is by your colleague, Dr. Tom Phillips, Jesus Now yeah. Awakening. And, uh -huh. you know, as I spoke with Dr. Phillips about revival, uh, he believes that the flames are igniting again. Do you share that view, Wayne? Oh, absolutely. I'm, you know, people are praying for a revival today as never before. And, and, and thousands of people, prayer groups. And that's so thrilling. The word revival is being revived. And it's so thrilling to hear the word. And we're praying for a great awakening. We're praying that we'll see. I'd say that America needs an Asbury revival. And, and definitely people are praying and people are expecting. We have to expect it just like those students did, that Jesus would come. And when he comes in great glory, things are going to start happening. And I, I do believe it's going to happen someday. I don't know how or when, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a part of it. I just thank God that he put it on my heart to write this book. I also want to make sure, you know, that the people know that they can go to Amazon.com to get the book. And we priced it very low. So students would buy the book and it's 1195 book. It's 141 pages. It's not a long book. People don't read books very much. I think this would catch their attention. Everybody, Clay, who's praying for revival need to get this book and give it also to the most spirit-filled young person they know and, and see God because it only takes one person. It only took one person at Asbury, Janine Brabon, that God used to start the fire of that revival. Asbury is a very special place. I, I love the three times I've been there, it's been a really a high blessing for me. Now, one of those visits was the 50th anniversary of yeah. the, the 3rd of February, 1970. Yeah. And that's yeah. where you got to meet a lot of these folks who were there. You, you write about how they said, well, you, you really need to talk to Janine. And that that's good uh, that you're able to, to get right yeah. there to the one who lit. Well, yeah. uh, the spirit lights the match, but you know, she was, she was ready to fan that flame. And uh, that's well, the first so person I met was her. Yeah. And I didn't know but two people out of a thousand people. And that, that's so encouraging to the rest of us lay people that just uh, faithfulness and the way that she would just keep praying into that and keep praying into that. Uh, that's a lot of patience for a young person, yeah. particularly to, for two years to just keep. That's, that's really amazing. Well, yeah. 
you, you make the point uh, as you wrap up your book that the flame of revival has never extinguished. Can you explain exactly what you mean by that? You know, our country's had some great revivals. And, you know, I read one time where every church is a result of a revival in some way or another. And um, God uses revival. See, I was raised on tent revival meetings by my daddy in Alabama, small town, Alabama. I was raised on street preaching. I believe that we're going to see more of these tent revivals. They're already happening around the country. And, and God is going to use young people. He's going to use children. He's going to use an old time preacher man. All are going to be used, millennials, to bring about revival. And, and I tell you what, it takes, we have to desire revival. We have to pray hard for it. And we got to be where we can't live without it. And uh, we know that that is, that is the answer. You know, Clay, I don't believe we've had a, an old-fashioned, heaven-sent, Holy Ghost revival that will sweep our nation from coast to coast like it happened in 1857 that started in a church in New York City with Jeremiah Lamphere. And six people prayed at noon for revival. And in six months, 10,000 people in New York were praying for revival at noon, at noontime. And it spread all across America, noon prayer meetings. And the whole revival, there was 30 million people in America and one million came to Christ. And if that were to happen today, we'd see about 11, 12 million people come to Christ. And you know what happened then? And it can happen again. Billy Graham prayed that prayer that I just repeated in 1949 and 2012. And uh, really, we haven't seen it since 1857, quite like that, what happened then. But I tell you what, I do believe we're going to see it one day. God, God's power is going to, he's going to come forth and show his power and his might. And I don't think it's going to be too much longer because uh, I think he's had enough of, of watching people in sin and shame and wickedness and all the evil that we have in our country today. But we've got a remnant of praying people that's, that are praying I think we have enough that's going to pray it in and God's going to answer the prayers. And we just have to keep praying and be earnest about it and join in with other people and get with groups and, and be consistent and, and never give up because we're going to see, we're going to see things we've never, ever seen before. We're going to see signs, wonders, and miracles that we've never seen before. And we're going to see people come to Christ. We're going to see, it starts in the church. It starts with Christian people. Revival does. It starts with personal revival. And that's why I think the book is so important, Clay, because it shows what revival looks like when it does come. That's what this book does. And that's what I intended for it to do. And, and uh, it, it's true core revival as people read that. And I encourage them to get a copy of it. Well, thank you so much for writing that, Wayne, and uh, for sharing it with me and letting me uh, talk with you today on core principles about it. I hope the audience has been inspired to pray and to get a copy of the book and read it and share it. It's, it's so easy, our part in this, but it's also something that requires persistence and uh, yeah. there's just great examples to be found in your book and we can follow those examples. Um, and I, I encourage people to do the same. So Wayne Atchison, I thank you again for coming on to core principles. Thank you for the book, uh, the Asbury revival, and thank you for your witness and also for the work you do there at Billy Graham library and through the association. Uh, God bless you. God bless you. And I'm thrilled to have this opportunity. May the Lord bring us revival and come quickly. Amen. Core Principles Podcast is produced in Paducah, Kentucky by Real Productions. Music is by Late July, L-E-I-G-H-T July. You can find our music on all streaming services or at latejuly.com. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Core Principles Podcast. Please visit core.buzzsprout.com for more information and please share with your friends. 
We look forward to visiting with you again on our next episode.